Hello, hello, hello. What's up, everybody? This is Supriya Mehra, your mortgage advisor, and you're listening to the Canadian Real Estate 101 podcast. More people than ever are building generational wealth through real estate. And on this show, I sit down with some of the top real estate agents, lawyers, accountants, and investors to discuss the ideas, the opportunities, and the strategies that they are taking advantage of so the rest of us can do the same. In this episode of Canadian Real Estate 101 podcast, we have Diana Lucia Roca, who is a knowledgeable and experienced real estate investor in Southern Ontario. She's done several burrs, flips, and private lending deals over the last few years. Diana's vision is to support real estate investors on their journey to success by continuing to deliver valuable content, tools, resources, and events. In this episode, we talk about private lending. What does private lending mean? What are the pros and cons, some risk involved, and some key points you need to consider when using this strategy as a passive income or when using private funds to close burr or flipping a property. So without further ado, let's get rolling. Hello, Diana. Thank you so much for joining us today. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing wonderful. Thank you so much. So first of all, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, I know you have a pretty busy schedule, so I really appreciate you taking out the time. Before we jump into our topic for today, our discussion, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? How was your journey in uh, real estate? How did you get started and all that fun stuff? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Thank you for inviting me. This is I always find these kind of things fun. So thank you so much for inviting me. So a little bit about me. I have been investing for seven years, but I would say I was a very different type of investor. And now in the last three years, I've more treated my properties as a business and 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 just all the other types of investing that I do in real estate. I've just been now treating it as a business. So I and I would say the difference is, for example, in the GTA, we generally have um, you know, appreciation is what most people go for. You don't think about properties cash flowing or anything of these kind of things. And so I started getting into that. And I and uh, I just started treating things as a business where like like you say, you see with the business, right? If you look at a business, you know, like let's say your your business has two million in debt, but you're supposed to at least be profiting something, at least like it should be at least a million, two million on top of that. You know, you want to always make sure your cash flow positive. So I try to do the same thing with my real estate. Um, so we do with me and my husband, we do flips and burrs on the side. And then in my main part is that I actually do private lending. Okay, great. So you've been a private lender for about three to four years now, or you had already yeah. started? Okay, all right. No, that's, yeah, that's, uh, I, I would probably say two to three years is how, how long I've been doing private lending for. Okay, and uh, that's why you're here, and you will be guiding us through private lending. So a lot of us don't have experience in private lending. So do you want to give a snapshot about uh, what exactly is private lending and how does it work? Yeah, I would say private lending is just the same thing as you getting a traditional mortgage or that process is very similar. You're, you know, you provide someone money 
you use your house as collateral. And then usually, you know, there's a certain interest rate that you decide to use, um, depending on what you think is best for the types, the type of risk level that money will be used for, usually depending on the loan to value of the house. So it's very similar to the way banks work is just the terms may be different just because you know, in the private side, it usually depends on how things, uh, like why they want the money. If they're not, for example, in, for example, with a bank, like they only have very specific situations where they'll lend. Like I would say, for example, one of the reasons both ways that even I've done private lend, I've actually borrowed money. One of the reasons I've borrowed money is, for example, we did a quite big, uh, big renovation where the house we got, it's not livable, had no bathroom, no kitchen. So for example, a traditional bank will be like, are you crazy? What is this? You know, like I can't lend to this, right? Because they lend to properties that someone can come and live inside it, right? So for example, that's one of the way, one of the uses for, for people to want to borrow money in the real estate arena. Yeah. Does that and make sense? Yeah, it absolutely does. And some of the other situations might be that, say, for example, if your credit score is not that great, in which cases um, private lending might be a good option if you want to explore, um, you know, investing in real estate. Other things that... Any properties, for example, exactly. also. Yeah. yeah. Or, or even, again, talking as a real estate investor, also some of our strategies are, for example that we want to, because a lot of banks, for example, won't refinance after let's say six months or a year. So some of our strategies are, okay, we'll go private first, get the renovations done. And then once we're ready to actually find the tenants and like that, we find the tenants. So now this property looks amazing to a bank because they're like, ah, it makes, it's making money and, um, and it's nice. It's been fully renovated. And then they'll lend, they'll lend to it and then you can lend quicker because if it's, you know, for example, you get it done in four months, um, you can get, you you can remove the private and then go to uh, go to a traditional bank. Or if you're self-employed, for example, a lot of self-employed people also will do private. So yeah, there's lots of different situations where people will want to borrow money, private money, which I feel like it's very good to talk about actually because a lot of people and me, including myself, I always thought that there's something wrong with a person if they're borrowing money privately. I have to say, I always had that you because you always hear like debt is bad and and that, you know, like you always think like, what would a person be doing that they have to go private? Right. How can't they get into a bank? So it's very interesting because once you get into this arena, you really start learning that. There's so many different reasons for people to get private money and it never has to be for, you know, negative reasons. <laughs> Absolutely. No, hundred percent. And it's, it's like an option, right? Like uh, banks are definitely there. If your income is good, your credit is good. you have enough down payment? They have no problem lending, lending you the funds, but in some scenarios, bank might not be the right fit for you. Like you said, you know, self-employment, or your income is not that great. Uh, for whatever reason, your credit is slightly bruised and there were some valid reasons behind it, but you're financially savvy. Like you're, you're good in terms of financial 
financial making financial decisions but life happens you know things happen so it's not a bad way to uh consider financing especially if you want to build your portfolio if you want to tap into uh being a real estate investor this is one of the options that's that's available right and it's a good one now yeah. in terms of uh, the difference between the interest rate obviously uh private lending is slightly expensive uh than other options out there how expensive are we talking about like what is the range that you have seen Uh so normally people have for example a, an upfront fee like a lender fee so that can range between 1 or 2% and then with the monthly payments it really depends on loan to value so if your loan to value is for example 80% then uh usually you'll see in the range of and I think things are going down so I'm going to bring it normally it's between 6 to 8% but I think now there you may be even seeing like around 5% just cuz there's so much money out in the market right now um so at 80% loan to value usually you're seeing like that between I would say between 6 to 8% but then I've also seen some people do less and then if you're going above 80% loan to value it's about like 10% to i mean let's say 100 at least like 15% i would say okay well if you if somebody already has that 20% down payment or loan to value is 80% like any other bank would typically then 5% is not bad right mm-hmm. like yeah sure. if you're getting into it uh you can always move into conventional banking once you figure out the strategy to get to that point but until then don't think about losing that opportunity uh just mm-hmm. by you know thinking that it's much more expensive yes it is but it's for number of months or maybe a year or two till you figure out a way to get to regular conventional financing so it's it's a great option okay i had no idea i always thought that it's much expensive you know at a rate of 8 to 10% minimum but mm-hmm. sounds like 5% is definitely doable um at least for a few you know couple of years yeah. or something okay yeah exactly and it just depends on um like that like there's different lenders that will do different niches like you said like a bank has its own niche right their niche is basically they prefer the homeowners you know the family that's going to go live in their house and then maybe you know a second unit or like that would be like that's the main part right they always like the homeowners that are going to go live and have the have the house as their primary residence right where same thing even on the private sector you have very many very many different types of private lenders right because there's some that are for example like that specifically oriented to flipping for example other specific for example people that are self employed right so there even in in the arena of private lending you have to you learn about all the different types depending on what your needs Okay, great. Perfect. Now, what are some things that uh somebody should consider when getting private lending? Obviously, there are some risks involved in it. So, mm-hmm. what are some of the things that we should be considering? So, as I'll start with the lender first. So, as a lender, if you're thinking about it, one you obviously want to go to a mortgage broker that specializes in that because again, it's a very different type of lending than it is with let's say a bank so you want someone that's actually a pri- uh like deals with private mortgages because they also have like that they also have their 
Rolodex of people or businesses that they can go to, right? And then they'll probably give you lots of options. But you do want to make sure that as a lender, you, for example, let's say don't even like thinking about, can I not touch this money? Like if I, for example, if I lose that money for five years, am I okay with that? I would always think of it in that sense. You always want to think of using money that you really don't care that you won't see for five years. Because one of the things is like that, like, let's say it goes through a foreclosure process that takes time and you might want to, and, and don't get me wrong, you'll get your money back. And if you do it right, you'll get your money back. And usually actually you get more, you, you get more than uh, like, you'll cover all your expenses and everything. But the thing is, it could take time to get that money back. Um, and so I I wouldn't say like, don't make it like your last dollar and you're lending it out because let's say you need cash. I would say lend money that you do not need. And and if like that, it disappears for five years, you're okay. And I'm not saying in the, even in the bad sense, it's just, for example, like you're like, oh, my kids are going to college. I need 30K. It's all out there, you know? And then you're just kind of like, what do I do now, yeah. right? So you want to really think of your future and just think, What's going to happen in the next five years? Do I care if I get this money back? Because that's the thing, like it may get locked in for a year or two. And if you do a term of like, let's say a year, and then all of a sudden in the middle of the year, something comes up and you need that money. It's not that easy to call that money back. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so just making sure that you're lending out money that you like that five, I would, I say five years. If you can be without it for five years, go lend it out. (laughs) Also knowing your criteria is very important. So knowing like how much money you want from it, for example, what kind of, like I said, there's so many different niches. So understanding those niches and understanding which ones you like and you, you know, so you're understanding your risk tolerance is very important so that. Um, so that you're not stressing out if a certain situation happens, because like that, like, for example, some interest rates are lower because they're um, like safer deals. Right. But if you don't have a high risk tolerance where, you know, like, let's say if you do it closer for 80 percent to more, those become a little riskier. Maybe you don't have the stomach for that. And you're like stressing or maybe a payment happens to come late and you're like, oh, my God they're foreclosing on me this is terrible you know like if you're a person that stresses maybe you take care take those lower interest rates because you're probably doing a lower loan to value and you're more relaxed because you know if it goes through foreclosure that 20 percent buffer really helps you out because if the market goes down it's not going to go down 20 percent it'll probably go down in a year like five percent so, so you have like, you still have 15% for lawyer fees and lawyer fees won't be that much, you know? <laughs> so it's, it's just understanding your risk tolerance is also very important. Understanding your niches is important and um, it helps you decide because all these things help you decide what kind of private lending you want to do. Yeah. As the person who is borrowing the money, I would say that having a plan is very important and having a plan B is also very important. And I mean, again, usually the lenders should do this, but making sure you can afford it because there are private lenders that will um, 
will lend to the asset themselves. And it's actually not really that much about your income. But that can that can end up screwing you as the borrower borrower over because if you don't if you get to a point where you don't have the money and let's say I'm gonna talk in the sense of let's say a flip where you're like, oh, you know, I'll get this done in six months, and you have your budget for six months, and then like COVID, materials got more expensive, you know, um delays finding contractors was a mission and a half. And then all of a sudden your six months project has turned into eight months. And then maybe, and then all of a sudden you, your expenses just got a lot more, your renovations are more, your, your time difference has changed. So you really want to make sure that you have the plan and you know, it's going to, going to happen, having a buffer because like that with private lending, it is more expensive. And um, like that, if you don't plan it out properly, it can also just, it can give you problems if you're not prepared for what can happen in the future or it just makes it more stressful. Yeah, no, sounds, sounds right. And uh, what you mentioned, like having that risk, risk appetite uh, or understanding your risk appetite, understanding your criteria and, uh, you know, figuring out what is plan, not just A, but what's plan B as well. Uh, from both sides, I think these are some very critical things to kind of consider if you are a lender or even if you are an investor and looking for private funding. So thanks for sharing. And that. reading the terms as a borrower, make sure you really read those terms. Because <laughs> yeah. sometimes people have shocks, right? Sometimes because I know I, I met a lender that, for example, has a lender fee up front and the lender fee at the end. And I'm not used to hearing people have lender fees at the end. But that could be detrimental to you if you don't realize that so making sure you understand your terms because sometimes a lot of people for example like always focus on the interest rate and it's like to be honest the interest rate I feel like is the least important thing it's more about understanding the whole mortgage terms as a whole because um like that it's just it's part of the planning right because if you do again I'm just going to say a flip and you know, you want to make sure you make you have enough room to pay, for example, lender fee at the end, if if that's what, a, you know, what you had, like the, the lender you went with. So yeah, it's just important to the terms, I think is very, very important to also have that. So let's transition into my next question, then, what are some terms that are critical that, uh, you know, a borrower should be looking into? So like that, the lender fees, and when they come out is important. Uh, the interest rate is important. How the payments will work. Also something that actually a lot of people think, I've, I've noticed with people that I lent out, is that they think we're like ba like banks where we take out the money. And so people get, people don't think that, for example, if you do, let's say, an e-transfer. I mean, normally people do checks, but let's say if you do an e-transfer, then they're like, oh, what like they don't or if they don't read the terms right because one of them i have for example mine is i i will accept checks or e-transfer and then um for example i get no checks and then they'll message me like hey the date passed and um like no money has come out of my bank account right and then and then what happens you incur fees so penalties also things to look at what are all the fees that come with it and uh yeah, the penalties, just and like that, knowing when your payments are due, knowing how you're making your payments and refinancing. 
is also important. Because for example, I can tell you again, another flip that I had, but we borrowed money and it was a six month term. And at the six month, we had the lender fee up front 2%. And then if to renew within six months, they would do another 2%. Now, again, in our case, we knew that we were going to finish 100% within six months. So we didn't care about that extra 2%, but it's definitely important to know that that's there, that what the renewal will look like. Because I don't think a lot of people, for some reason, a lot of lenders won't, don't talk about it, I notice, notice unless if you ask. Again, because I'm a private lender, I since I know both sides, I'm always asking those kind of questions because I know what I would do. And I rather, again, for my planning purpose, I would like to know if I'm going to be borrowing, what are the renewal? Like, is it just continue the monthly payments? Or like that, are we doing another, you know, another draw of a lender fee, right? Because again, those things can impact you. Yeah. Okay. So if, say for example, and this is different for every situation or every lender, I would assume, right? Mm -hmm. uh, they can pick out their own terms um, and uh, just to secure themselves. And there are different ways that need, you need to go through the clauses and stuff like that. Now, what happens with the title typically? Does the title, is the private lender, does, do they have the title of the property? Or is it the person who is borrowing has the uh, title on the property? How does that work? Yeah, so it's the same thing as a bank, right? So when you buy a property, you go on title as the owner. But then the bank also goes on title as the mortgage E. Yeah. Right. So we do the same. So I mean, private lending is the exact same if it's secured, because there are people that may do unsecured lending, probably are not the high amounts that you do normally when you get a mortgage. But if you're doing secured lending, you it's the exact same thing. So the owner of it will go on title as the owner, and then the lender will go in as title as the mortgage E. Okay. All right. So this is so far we've been talking about secured uh, private lending now mm -hmm. you just mentioned that there are potentially unsecured options as well in that option then there's no title that goes under the uh, person who is lending under the investors exactly so people that go on it's called promissory note if they do a promissory note they don't go on title and it's really a personal guarantee which um, again, I, I don't see people doing large amounts of that. Usually it's smaller amounts. And usually my, me personally, I don't ever do that, to be honest, <laughs> just okay. because, um, like that, it's just, you want to secure it to the house. Cause at least with the house, you can, for example, if it goes through where you're going problems where the payments aren't coming or they're just, you know, something's going on, you can at least you have more chances of get your, getting your money back or your chances are like much, much higher that you get your money back if it's secured to doing it through a, a promissory note. It just it gets a lot more complicated and um, there's nothing there, right? So for example, a person loses their job and maybe they're jobless for a while, you know, like you can go to the courts and everything, yeah. but um you know, it, it, could, it just, it may be a lot harder. The term may be a lot longer to try to get the money back. Got it. And, or maybe you never get it back too. Yeah. Now, in terms of private lending, uh, can it be done through different sources like RRSBs, TFSAs, or what's the best way to structure these? 
Yeah, yeah, you can actually also use your RSPs, your Liras, your um, tax-free, all of that. There's very specific institutions, so you'd have to move your money to them. Like, for example, Olympia Trust is one of them, Community Trust is another, and they're very big for lending out RSPs and tax-free savings, which it is beneficial, right? Because if you can save on that profit that you're making, uh, for at least the current, like let's say with RC, obviously current, because in the future we'll be taking it out. Um, it is a lot more beneficial to you to get in, to use your RSPs. And the one nice thing I would say is that they, for example, you can't loan more than 100% loan to value uh, because of the regulations that they have. So it also kind of safeguards you too. Mm-hmm. to make sure that you're not lending more than you're supposed to. Because again, like sometimes when people are new or again, hopefully, I mean, you have like a good mortgage broker that helps you with this. And that being said, I feel like it's always important to still have a good understanding and just kind of review what they review and not just kind of go blind because um, I mean, you're, o- you will always take care of your money more than anyone else will. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. Okay, sounds good. Now, what are some other risk factors that we should consider? Again, from both perspectives, from an investor perspective who is lending the money and also from borrower's perspective. So I would say something that is, I personally would find more risky and don't take this yeah, as yeah. a bad thing anyone, <laughs> is that, for example, it is, I feel like it is riskier to do private lending with homeowners, with people that are not business oriented in the sense like they're not flipping they're not like doing something with their real estate and the reason why I say that is because you know when you have your home your children has lived have lived there you like you get this attachment to your home Mm -hmm. and um and for example I've seen this where because we'll buy properties and we've seen like people where they're so attached they put their blinders on like they get the letters, you know, the bank's going to foreclose on them. And they just have their blinders, like pretending like nothing has happened. And then they lose their home. That's right. Tough. So I feel like they're, the emotional attachment to people who are primary homeowners and live in their homes. I feel like that's, for example, very risky. And that's why, for example, with me, I only I lend to real estate investors only. That's my niche. And the reason why is just because of that, because, for example, it's done for a business purpose. So if, for example, you see a flip that's going wrong, they're not going to be like, oh, you know, it's my baby and I'm going to keep it and I'm going to work it out. Like once the numbers aren't working, they're like, we're selling it. Like you barely have to go through a foreclosure with them. Like you send them the letter and they're already out there. They probably like, you probably wouldn't even notice to be honest, yeah. because um, they're already like, once they see there's a problem and they're struggling to make their payments, um, they're going to be out there getting that sold as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. Right. Because it's more, it's a business transaction. Yeah. So to me, for like, hopefully the viewers don't get offended by the- <laughs> I can't like I feel like homeowners are a little bit more emotional about their properties than business people are business people it's about making sure they're making you know they're going to make their margins because that's what a business is you need to make your profits right and if you're seeing that things are going south quickly like you're getting rid of that thing as quickly as possible right, right? so um, I find that for example a risk is that you know like that i i pers- i lend to business people um like real estate investors 
Okay, fair enough. Sounds good. Now, any other things, points uh, that you'd like to mention that we didn't cover earlier regarding uh, this kind of strategy? Lending. I think it's a great way to make passive income. It's not, especially if you're a person that wants to get into the real estate game, but maybe doesn't want the hassle. I would say, for example, like some people don't even like the hassles of being a landlord. Like, why not take the landlord out of it and just be the bank, right? Because the landlord have to deal with the tenants. They have to deal with the dramas that come on with the house. Being a private lender, you're just lending that money, letting the homeowner deal with those problems. And you're just letting that money come in. And I feel like really the work is at the very beginning where you're like that, assessing the property, seeing if it's if it's worth it, if it meets your criteria, you know, if it meets your risk tolerance. And it's very, it's not that labor intensive. It's really like one day. And usually when you have the broker, your broker has already done the vetting. And then you're just doing that double check and making sure it's okay. And if it's something that interests you or whatever. Um, so I think it's a nice way for people who want to be very passive um, in real estate to get into private lending because it's not like being a landlord where you have to worry about your tenants if they're calling if there's issues with plumbing or buying things like you're not involved in any of that so it's kind of like it's a it's a much more passive way than being a, a landlord agreed okay great well thank you so much for your time today diana we really appreciate it if somebody wants to pick your brain or need some guidance or get into your community what are some different ways that they can connect with you yeah for sure um so on instagram i'm investor girl diana you also will see that on facebook and on linkedin and then i do have a facebook group called the uh, real estate investing district where we have shows that help you learn about real estate investing and help you you know develop yourself like shows about you get like for example one called re behind the scenes where you get to actually see people doing their projects and what problems they encountered and then we have another one transformation time which is uh, people guests talking about their personal development journeys and mindset shifts as a real estate investor um, and as an entrepreneur. And then we also have other shows too with experts that come on like Ask the Experts. Um, and then if you just wanna meet other, and other investors to kind of find like-minded people, things that you're interested in, we have also our networking events. So we have a lot of stuff for, people to enjoy and find out what they're interested in and uh, just learn all the different areas of real estate investing because there's so many out there <laughs> and uh, you just have to find out what works for you. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much once again, Diana. We really appreciate your time here. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me on. I really enjoy chatting with you. Thank you. Take care. All right, so there you go, my friends. I hope you enjoyed and learned from my fellow investor, Diana. You can follow her on various social media channels. Links are provided on the show notes. As always, if you have any financing or refinancing questions, or you just want to create a plan on how you can acquire more real estate, you can reach out to me for a complimentary strategy call at supriyamehramortgages at gmail.com. 
That's all we have for today. If you found this to be helpful, please consider us giving a five-star rating. This is how people find us and get the useful information shared by our guests. Have a wonderful day and we shall see you next time.